Hello, everyone, and welcome to Divide and Conquer. We're named as such because of our intent. What is our intent? Well, if you don't know uh, by now, we are a group of sport and performance psychology consultants and contractors here at Fort Polk, Louisiana. And we also fall under the Army Resilience Directorate, and you can find them on Facebook and Twitter at Army Resilience. So each episode, we pose a question or issue related to resilience and or performance enhancement that we as a group will conquer through our individual answers, and you'll find out pretty quickly that our perspectives and stances are often divided. We hope you enjoy our take on today's question, which is, is leadership an art or a science? But before we get to directly answering that question, we have a couple of new voices here on today's episode. So we have Jess, hey, my, hey. myself, Diego, and then we have our newest co-worker, Marius. It's okay, you don't have to, you don't have to say anything. <laughs> and we also have here Eric, who has made it clear that he's more of an observational person. <laughs> today which is fine back to the question at hand is leadership an art or a science or something else altogether you know try not to limit ourselves i can go first to lay down like just a little bit of groundwork so there's been a ton of research that's a bit more recent right yes you are the resident expert for leadership you are the reservoir in which we draw from wow now i feel like we have set such a high standard to live up to. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're welcome. I don't know about, what did you say, a reservoir? I'm not sure that that would be the, the best title for me, but I'll take it. Okay. So you're going to have to explain whatever it is that you are referring to before I can answer yes or no. Okay. Re- more recent research. Yeah. So it seems to me that transformational leadership I'm not sure if it's a new topic altogether, but it seems to be very much in the uh, research zeitgeist regarding leadership in across different contexts and domains, and or at least it's the new buzzword that people are using. Correct. Yes, I will say that it is more recent that we have actually looked more deeply into transformational leadership, and especially compared to transactional leadership, which would be the more traditional sense of what we would consider at least a manager okay, and maybe even a leader as far as a position of, you know, you, you do something for me and I do something for you, such as pay you or not write you up kind of thing. So that's more transactional versus transformational, which would be I'm looking to grow you beyond what you even think that you can do, right? So I'm, I'm interested in you personally and professionally and I want to grow you and develop you and also then you would reap the rewards of what comes with you know high success and high goal setting and all of that so to me it seems like there's a pretty big pretty stark difference between the two correct and it's not to say that one is better than the other you need both but if you're only transactional then you do leave a lot on the table of actually getting the most out of people and not just for the benefit of when I say the most out of people, not just a return on you know your investment, but that they're actually working at their best, they're satisfied with their work, they feel purposeful in what they're doing, they're motivated, confident. And so 
transformational leadership is more likely to get that out of people. We also understand you have to be transactional at times to, yes, get the work done. And I think a lot of people, if not most people, are much more familiar with that transactional type of leadership. So I think it would be useful to go over a couple of characteristics or indicators of uh, what it looks like to be a transformative leader. And correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, but I do have a resource from which I'm going to be listing these characteristics. One part involves motivation. So it's labeled as inspirational motivation, the degree to which the leader articulates a vision that is appealing and inspiring to followers. So that's the first I. The second I, uh, I'm not sure if they go in any particular order, but this is the order I'm going in. So intellectual stimulation. What that means uh, is the degree to which the leader challenges assumptions, takes risks, and solicits followers' ideas. The next I, which is individualized consideration, a.k.a. the degree to which the leader attends to each follower's needs and concerns. And the last I being idealized influence, provides a role model for high ethical behavior, instills pride, gains respect and trust. So to me, as I read all those things and read this earlier because I did, it seems to me that this for a lot of people might require much more time and energy invested in the front end, meaning identifying what all these eyes mean for that particular manager, leader, whatever it might be. So that way they can not only clearly articulate their vision and what being a good leader means to them, to their followers, but also identify behaviors and ways to remain consistent with that vision across time and not just in the beginning. I feel like there might be with a lot of new concepts that people learn about, there's for me at least, there's a honeymoon phase where it's like, yeah, I'm all about this. I'm going to implement this in all different parts of my life. I think that's where you start getting into the art of it is in the application piece because just in the way that you describe those four eyes, my thought is a lot of the science comes through familiarizing yourself with those concepts and what it might look like and um, the ideas behind it and why it's important. But even in the definitions, you're talking about the people that they're leading and each person is going to be different and each situation is going to be different. And that's why I believe the, the art is in the application piece of knowing when and where to apply that science right and even when Jess was talking about it like talking about how there is a time and place for transactional leadership right right and I think transformative leadership is really popular right now um and it seems like everyone's aim is to be a transformative leader which is great however that's where the art piece comes in again, where it's knowing, okay, transformative leadership is really great at this point, but there's also this moment in time where I'm going to need to use some more transactional leadership. And so I, that's where I see the art coming in. 
Yeah, to me that makes sense. Um, I also want to point out that was Marius who was just now uh, done speaking. Yes. <laughs> I also do not mean to pigeonhole us in like, oh, leadership styles only include transactional and transformational leaderships. I brought transformational leadership up because that is it's one of the first things I found because of how popular it is in current research trends and I think Jess would probably be much better apt to speak about this. Thank you again for setting such a high standard. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. Another popular, if you will, style would be servant leadership, which the army is pretty big on servant leadership. And you also have some more old school styles, which would be like trait or state leadership, which is or adaptive leadership. So trait being that certain an effective leader would be someone that has very specific traits. The problem with that would be, though, how do you actually help someone accumulate or cultivate certain traits if they don't if they're not born with them? For example, if someone is not necessarily charismatic, can you teach that trait? I don't know. Right. That's that's an arguable thing. And then things like adaptive leadership. Can someone adapt to specific situations? So can a leader take go into any situation and be able to be very adaptive? Again, that's hard to necessarily train in the sense of we don't know what's going to come up. COVID is a perfect example of who could have ever thought COVID would happen. But yes, you're right. I think, Diego, it's not meant to styles aren't meant to pigeonhole people. And when you think about a leadership philosophy and a style, it really is a bring together of many different aspects of someone and what they do and what they learn over time can really dictate your leadership, which is a journey. It's not meant to be like, this is who I am now and that's how I'm going to stay forever. It's I'm on a journey to figure out what's the best for my people. And if your team changes, you need to be changing. It's not to say, this is who I am and everyone needs to accommodate me. It's I'm here to accommodate you all which sounds very much so like servant leadership, but really, and a lot of them share a lot of similar things. When you really dig into the research, a lot of the styles or the philosophies of leadership do share a lot of commonalities. There are differences, but they share a lot of commonalities. Marius, you have something. Well, and I kind of want to phrase this as a question as well, but just hearing you describe that made me think of it more as like these different types of leadership are almost tools that we have in a toolbox where you know you wouldn't just say you might have a strong suit right so you might be natural as a transactional leader but obviously there's going to be moments and situations where a transformative leadership style would serve you best or um, you know an adaptive leadership style would serve you best and so learning about those and educating yourself about those leadership styles and how they can apply to situations that might call for them will only serve you down the road, right? So it's like you have this one strength, maybe you have a style that you gravitate towards, but the more that you can learn about these other styles, the better off you're going to be adapting to particular situations. So would that be an applicable way of thinking about this of like, almost this toolkit 
understanding and knowing what these different leadership styles look like so that you could properly apply them to situations? To me, it, it like going back to the art versus science, the way you're describing understanding and having knowledge of these different styles of leadership not only is akin to uh, a toolbox, but let's say an artist's brush uh collection however they call it arsenal whatever portfolio portfolio well i was thinking more of actual instruments Uh, used to paint the picture of what best suits that situation what best suits that canvas so to speak and then applying the application process of whichever style is deemed best fit for that situation would be the creativity slash being artful with the different styles i think you bring up both of you bring up really great points i would agree that it is more of an art mostly because you're dealing with people and because people are so different and because people themselves are somewhat of an art form you have to figure out how to best reach your people And that takes a lot of trial and error, takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of effort. And science, to me, we can measure leadership effectiveness through science, but science also tends to lean or lend itself to having formulas in place. And leadership is not a formula that you can solve. It's not when you do this plus this equals this. That's That's not what happens. So, and it's, it, if it were that easy, we would have already solved leadership. Everybody would be amazing. <laughs> we would have no issues in any organizations, but it is more of an art. You have to figure out, it's very fine-tuned. It constantly changes. Again, I think it's a journey to where you have to be very artful and very tactful in how you handle people. And that's learning about people and learning who people are and what they need just takes a lot of time. And it really does require having a lot of those you know tools in your tool belt to figure that out the way that you describe that makes me think of i'm sure most people can picture someone in mind when i say this but it's the person that might not have an official leadership title or position um they might have not been elected they might have not been appointed Um, They might have not even taken any sort of leadership course or development or read anything about leadership, and they are just absolutely brilliant with people, and people want to follow them. People want to listen to them, and to me, that really, really shows the art side of it, and it's very strong evidence for the art side of it. Um, On the flip side, you can think of people that have read all the books on leadership, um, have studied it for years and try to apply it, like you said, with formulas of, oh, I read that in this situation, this is what I should do. And you just watch that fall flat on its face. Um, but at the same time, that's not to say that that person who truly deals with it like an art can't get even better at it, having learned a little bit of like the science or the more educational piece Maybe it's reading some books. Maybe it's taking some courses. But, um, you know, I think it's great that they have this natural ability to that art. But it's not to say that 
it excuses them from getting even better or learning how they can, you know, switch between styles more fluidly or something like that. As you were speaking, Maurice, I feel like we could get into the weeds. So let's just try it out, see what happens. Um, (laughs) But for that individual who is not appointed, elected, chosen, selected as a leader and have very little to no knowledge or experience going through courses regarding being trained as a leader, their their qualities as a leader, wh- where do you, where does that come from? Is that is that something that can be innate within us? Is that something that maybe their circumstances put them in a position to to where they were able to successfully develop those traits to be a good leader but for one reason or another maybe they don't identify those traits or all that conglomerate of those traits as them being a good leader i mean i don't know if even the question i'm asking is answerable in a way that is impactful or meaningful but i thought it was interesting i literally had this discussion with dr ryan hawkins yesterday Ooh. yes shout out shout out And he listens, so he'll be excited about this. Um, (laughs) I think it's more to say that leadership really is about nurture. It's about learning over time. Now, could there be some natural nature things that I'm born with that help me to learn at a faster rate? Yes, 100%. I think so. But that would exclude, if it was all about the traits, if it was all about born with certain things, we would be excluding probably majority of the population that would actually be a meaningful, effective, wonderful elite leader. But I think that would I think that's I think that would be fallacy to say that that's correct in thinking that. I think it really is about we can all develop these things. And again, yes, we may have a propensity to be able to learn things faster than others. But I think everyone has the ability to become a leader, but it really does require you to first and foremost, want to be a leader. You have to want to care about people. If that's not what you want, then no learning, knowledge, skills will help you to actually translate going from knowledge and skills into actually putting that into practice. So I think that, w- that would be my take on it. It's really it, your innate skills can only take you so far. And then really from there, it's a lot of you have to have the will, the desire, and you have to then put yourself in places and surround yourself with people to learn and to develop and then get those skills, get that feedback to constantly just be evolving yourself. I also think that when you say how it starts with wanting to be a leader, brings up a very good point of leadership skills and leadership development is for absolutely everyone Mm -hmm. and it is regardless of your position regardless of what you're doing like if you are a student you can be a leader in that role if you are a teacher you can be a leader in that role and it starts with caring about people and once you do care about people and wanting to help lead people then I almost think that any situation you have interacting with human beings can give you an opportunity to learn leadership 
right? So my initial response to your question was going to be yes, all of the above. Um, <laughs> because I do think that, yes, there are certain traits, but most of it is about dealing with people. And the more you deal with people, if you're coming at it with a frame or a mindset of, I'm trying to learn about people, I'm trying to help lead people, and I care about people, then most situations will help you learn. And then beyond that, you can place yourself in uh, special situations or environments where it might facilitate that, but it's almost just going through life. If you have that sort of mindset of, I'm trying to grow as a leader, I'm trying to grow in what I'm doing, it will give you a lot of opportunities to build and develop leadership. As both you, Marius, and Jess were speaking, I feel like we see a lot of archetypes regarding leaders in not only like storybooks, but in pop culture, movies, TVs, TVs, TV shows, books that are still being written today, where there is a character who is reluctant at and still being appointed a leader. I think, for whatever reason, my mind just went to archetypes and then that one. But I feel like your explanation can also, both of your explanations can can account for someone who is, quote-unquote, the reluctant leader. If being a good leader requires a natural or developed interest in other people and their well-being, then I think that can account for people who are, let's say, put into positions of leadership or thrust into positions of leadership. And the one person I can think of right now is Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. I mean, he kept saying over and over again, I don't want it, right? Talking about being king. Um, So I feel like because he cares about everybody that's around him and he's good at being diplomatic, getting things done in general, taking into account everybody's needs and making executive decisions where they need to be made, people tend to trust him, which then elevates his position in a social hierarchy in whichever group he finds himself in. So I think that's just an example of how even if you are not the designated leader, there are still, like Marius mentioned, there's different ways in which you can display the qualities of a good leader and still take on a un, an unofficial role in a way that still accomplishes the same thing as if you were given the title of leader. Yeah, I think something that gets misconstrued often or gets confused often is that just because you have, say, a rank or a position, that you are then a leader. I think just because you have a rank or a position means you have authority. So people will listen to you. They will do what you ask. But... Will they follow your example? You know, will they follow you when things get tough? Will they take risks for you? Will they trust you? Will they, you know, be free and open with their feelings and and what they, the visions that they have or the goals that they've set? No, not necessarily. And so there's a difference between a leader in the sense of you've been appointed a position as leader that is different than I have earned the role of leadership or the title of leadership from the people that are following me. So, you know, I don't think just because you hold a title means that you are, in fact, the leader. Or a good one, for that matter. I was going to say, because I I do find the concept of a reluctant leader very interesting, um, because typically those are 
some of the best leaders. Right. Um, they naturally care about people. They naturally look out for people. And I like the distinction of position, positions of authority over positions of leadership. So I, the way that I think of it is like the official positions, um, whether it's some rank or status, is usually a position of authority. And it's conducive to be a leader in that position, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a leader at that position. And I think that some of the situations where you have these reluctant leaders is that they're very good at the art of leadership. They might be familiar with the science, but they also know that positions of authority can influence how people view them the expectations that are placed on them, the responsibilities that they have, right? So it's very different if I just go through my life, you know, say as a PE and I just say, you know, I, I care about my other PEs and I care about the soldiers that I work with and that's how I do it. And then all of a sudden I'm put in a position where that's my expectation. Uh, the expectation is that you now do these things that maybe you just did naturally. So I think then you start getting into the weeds of like, uh, people's relationships with motivation, expectation, um, responsibility, and things like that. But it doesn't necessarily speak to their, um, I almost said natural ability, but that's not what I mean. But like their, the art of their leadership and what they know about being a leader. So I think, I think that's some of it with reluctant leadership. But um, again, those are just my thoughts. That's not, not the science. <laughs> <laughs> Edutainment, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you guys had some good flow and momentum that I didn't really want to jump in. But um, as Diego was um, talking about the science of the differences between transactional leadership and transformational leadership, it kind of reminded me of the old proverb uh, teach, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. So, you want to ask yourself, what kind of leader are you? Are you just one just delegating um, roles and orders to your soldiers or to who you actually leading? Or are you trying to maybe cultivate them into, you know, better individuals? So um, with that being said, I, that's just kind of where you're asking yourself what your why is. And if your motivation is to lead and to cultivate who you're leading, you might want to spend that more effort. And that's when it becomes more of that art of, coming through experience that well beyond just art and science i think it becomes a question of effort too right because which one between those two is easier to do uh just give him man the fish right so it's just it's so much easier to just hand that man a fish and then he can eat for that day and it's almost in some sense easier to keep doing that day after mm -hmm. day right uh, it will wear on you, I feel like, in the long term. But the effort of going through the process of teaching someone how to do that is much higher. Mm -hmm. And I think that can maybe prevent some people in engaging in that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom involved in being an effective leadership, right? Because you were once in that role as being led. So then, you know, you kind of take from all the leaders that you have been under throughout your life and then you're going to pick some traits from one leader and traits from another leader and then you become your own leader it's not 
it's not there's not a strict straight formula that you can just read from a book and say like I think Jess was mentioning it just because you read a book on leadership doesn't make you a great leader take some experience and wisdom to be able to cultivate those that you lead into better individuals that they are yeah I think Eric you brought up something that is really fascinating about the difference I like that proverb that's that's good that you brought that in it shows there's a there's a different focus and there's a different timeline that you're interested in so for someone who is just interested in just get it check the box get this done right there's a very there's an end state cool I, I met I met what I need to do today and the focus there would be it's more about me than other people right very inward focus cool I did what I need to do today great move on versus yes if you're that leader that really is highly effective someone that people want to follow it's about the long term I care about you know, not just today, I care about years from now. And then equally, the focus is outward. I want you to be better. I want you to learn a skill that's going to change your life versus just, oh, I need you to hit these marks for today. So that way we can go home. Right. So there's the focus is different than the the timeline is very different. Uh, last thing I want to say um, to me as both Eric and Jess were just speaking, it reminded me of the marshmallow test. Uh, if you're not familiar, it's a study done with children. I think it assesses instant gratification versus delayed gratification. So if it's a researcher in a room with a child and the researcher tells the child, you can have one marshmallow now, or if you wait five minutes, I'll give you, I think, two marshmallows. And the point is to determine, I guess, which children or what the tendency is in terms of who is more likely to wait for the two marshmallows and who is who might be more likely to take the the one marshmallow and be instantly uh, rewarded so it's like there's much more effort involved much more mental energy let alone physical energy involved with waiting versus instantly being rewarded with that one marshmallow but if you extrapolate that into various situations and domains that's where you can see potentially the proverb fit in i mean i, I kind of beating a dead horse but it goes back to how much effort are you willing to invest what the what your focus is regarding being a leader and whether or not or how much even do you care about the people that you are leading i'll put out a question to all you all what does is it requires effort but what about sacrifice because who usually gets all the praise when you win a championship the players players right so sometimes you kind of have to get your ego out of the shadow and you know teach these lead these players to win a championship but they get all the credit most of the time and then so are you willing to put your ego to the side to help cultivate who you lead into more effective performers if you think of examples of great leaders and, if, you know, using the sports analogy of championships, you think of some of the best coaches, managers, leaders, you know, the image that I have of them win winning a championship is that they're kind of off in the corner and almost just like smiling to themselves of like, that was awesome. This is a nice reward for what I do. And then like the next day they go back to work, not in a workaholic kind of way, but that that's just part of their process, right? And so, you know, I was thinking when you're talking about the proverb of kind of asking yourself about your own why, 
I think that's a great place to start. And uh, I think it's very popular of these days. People talk a lot about your why and finding your purpose. But when Jess was talking about the, the inner and the outward focus, I was thinking about how applicable the question of what can be as well. So what is it that my people need? Right. And so that can push you beyond a transactional place that can push you to be that leader that is okay with the sacrifice because they're thinking, okay, you know, what do my soldiers need so that not only they're effective now, but they continue growing to be effective people. And so the sacrifice almost becomes just inherent in that situation. It'll have to happen if that's what you want to do. But you combine your own personal why, and that's kind of that inward focus with the what, which to me almost signifies the outward focus and the combination of the two can help you get past some of that instant gratification or past that um, past that sacrifice step. All right. So I feel like that was a very rich and much more in-depth than I was expecting in terms of discussion. But I mean, I feel like it makes sense. I think I like to think we're all pretty thoughtful individuals, and we all gel pretty well. But anyway, enough of uh, petting all of us on the back, <laughs> as Marius is doing. That'll be it from us for this week. However, that doesn't mean we're gonna let you all off the hook. Like no way. Yeah, Just like Eric posed a, a question to you all. Well, if you would like to answer it or provide us with a question or maybe any insight you might have regarding the topic from today or past episodes, feel free to leave your thoughts or question in the comment section below on YouTube or on Facebook on the post when this episode is live. And, you know, you might be the lucky one who gets your question answered in a future podcast, as we've already done in the past. I wish we could offer free t-shirts. <laughs> anyway, that's it from us. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you all next time. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah.